Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snacket Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. You're listening to Alamo City Limits Podcast with Noah McGarrow-George, the official San Antonio Spurs podcast of Pounding the Rock in SB Nation. What's going on, Spurs fans? Welcome back to Alamo City Limits, the official San Antonio Spurs podcast of SB Nation and Pounding the Rock. As always, I'm your host, Noah McGarrow-George, and that's my co-host and partner in crime, Damian Bartonek. How are you doing today, man? I'm doing very, very well, bro. We've had a long discussion off the air that, uh, you know, just really getting me ready for this podcast. So I'm excited for this. We have a lot of dope stuff to talk about. I can't wait to get into our first topic specifically because I'm a big fan of this player. So I'm excited, bro. Let's do it. I'm excited, too. So just so our listeners know, we are recording this podcast on Thursday, January 27th at about 2.20-ish Central Time. So we've got plenty of topics to talk about. So let's go ahead and kick things off by discussing the impending DeMar DeRozan homecoming. The soon-to-be five-time All-Star returns to the AT&T Center this Friday for the first time this season as the San Antonio Spurs host the Chicago Bulls on Friday. We have a little more than, you know, half of the season in the rearview mirror by now. So has your opinion on the DeRozan sign-and-trade from this summer changed at all as we approach this All-Star break? Honestly, not really. I think the one thing that's kind of made that's actually changed my my outlook on the entire thing is just how the Spurs have dealt with, you know, Thaddeus Young. Really, uh, the <laughs> picks were fine. I always thought that you know getting a first round pick in two seconds was nice. You know, Alfaru Kaminu. I thought maybe he was a shot to make the roster, albeit a long shot. Uh, he was here for the scrimmage, and that's about it. Uh, but the only thing, my only opinion that's changed is really about the Spurs and their handling of specific players like Thad Young because I thought Thad Young, I literally wrote an article, my first piece for Pounding the Rock. I remember was, that, yeah. Yeah, who's going to be the most impactful you know, veteran addition? Is it Doug or Thad Young, right? And I was like, man, if they can use Thad in this role, it's going to be Thad Young. Thad Young's played, you know, basically as much as I have. You know what I mean? Like, he's not playing very much. San Antonio's, you know, we, we hear, you know, every month it feels like San Antonio and Thad Young, you know, might be on the move. I think the only thing, my only opinion that's changed really is just the Spurs' handling of the situation. For the Bulls, it was a steal. I mean, I think me and you both agree. Uh, they, they, I mean, right now it's looking like a robbery. So, yeah, I think I think uh, the sign-in trade was good for the Bulls. The Spurs got the picks out of it, which I think is the thing that everyone was looking forward to. And, uh, yeah, that's kind of my thoughts on the entire deal now. Yeah, and just a refresher, so DeMar DeRozan went to the Bulls, the Spurs got Thaddeus Young, as you mentioned, Alfred Camino, 2025 first-round pick, that's protected, so like, if that pick doesn't parlay by 2025, it will eventually come to the Spurs unprotected by 2028, so let's be honest, we really don't know where the Bulls are going to be by 2025, you know, it's three years down the road, is DeMar still going to be there, is Levine still going to be there, you know, he probably will, but we don't know where they're going to be, so we don't really know how valuable that pick is. 
As far as the second round picks, one of them is in the future, so we don't even need to talk about that. But the other one is actually Detroit's second rounder. They're the worst team in the NBA, so that's basically like getting another first if you want to be optimistic, right? Like the 31st overall pick, maybe you do something there. You know, crazier things have happened. You've seen, um, I'm not going to throw Nikola Jokic out there, but guys like Nick Claxton, you know, they can be valuable. But yeah, I think generally I would agree with you. My opinion hasn't really changed about the trade. I know a lot of people... You know, whether it was Sports Illustrated or ESPN or, you know, you name it, they were all dumping all over the Bulls for making that trade. ESPN gave them a D plus, gave the Spurs a B minus, and I think that's fair. Like, the Spurs got some assets back. I don't love how Thaddeus Young isn't playing, and they probably will end up buying him out if they can't find a trade partner, which that's kind of the route it seems like it's going. But for the Bulls, man, I mean, like, they got a guy who, one of the things that I'd written about him before he left San Antonio was that, you know, the Spurs don't need to bring him back because what he needs is to be able to play, you know, second or third fiddle. Granted, he has been the best player in the Bulls system this year, but it's not like he's playing with scrubs. You know, Zach Levine can be the number one on any given day. Even Nikola Vucevic can be the number one on any given day. And he's got a really good supporting cast, whether that be Alex Caruso and Lonzo Ball being, you know, arguably the best defensive duo in the NBA, at least in the backcourt. He also has Ayo Desunmu, who's been a really, really good rookie for the Bulls. I think he's shooting 53.5 from the field, 43% from three, 7.5 points per game. So he's been better than I think some people might have expected him to be coming out of Illinois. And then they have a plethora of injuries. So that team will eventually come together. But, man, I just, yeah, I think generally my, my, my stance has not changed on this trade, but my stance on DeMar has changed a little bit. So we know that he's sort of established himself as a fringe MVP candidate for the second place Bulls. How do you feel about his season so far? Are you jealous? Are you upset? Are you proud? Like, <laughs> what are you feeling about it? Because he's doing some things in, in Chicago that he never did in San Antonio. Yeah, I think for me, I'm, I'm just so happy for him, man. I mean, just, just as, a, as an outsider just watching the game, I'm just so happy for a guy that you know, really gave us all, especially now today when we were recording this, we found out that he was making, you know, constant trips to L.A. back and forth, uh, wherever the Spurs were playing when his dad was sick. I mean, I, it couldn't happen to a better person. Just, just all the success in the world, all the, you know, I, I, you know, I pray for him and his family, and I'm just so happy for him, man. My my thoughts haven't really changed, honestly, Noah. I, I mean, I've always been a guy that was really high on him, honestly, to a fault. Me and uh, for you know the, the listeners, me and Noah's first interactions on Twitter were arguments about Demar Derozan. <laughs> so I've always been a big guy, a big Derozan guy. Now I didn't, I didn't know if, if he had you know fringe MVP candidate you know potential. I think he's an MVP candidate. I don't, I don't know about the fringe, but I think he is, and he's playing fantastic. I mean, I know a lot of Spurs fans want to say, hey, you know he he was doing this in San Antonio. No, he's better now. He he looks better. I mean, he, overall that team fits him better, like you mentioned. He's playing at, a, at, a, at an even higher level. And he's just really, no matter what you're asking him uh, from him this year, he's shining, man. I mean, he looks fantastic. Like you mentioned, whether it's Levine and Vucevic, with Lonzo, Alex Caruso, the Bulls are doing this too without Pat Williams, who they lost very early on in the season as well. I can't wait, you know, next year whenever they get him back, how they're going to look. I think overall, man, that team fits him so well. And this is a lesson for all basketball fans, uh, you know, writers, that, man, situation really does matter more than we kind of think sometimes. And when you place a, a player of DeRozan's caliber with a team or surrounded by guys that actually fit him, great things can happen. And just because he's not, you know, the top tier star, that doesn't mean he can't elevate, you know, people around him and those can elevate him as well. So 
I think overall, man, the Bulls have something really nice cooking up over there. They got a nice brisket cooking, and uh, I think <laughs> overall, man, they can really make something happen this year. So I'm really happy for Demar. I went on a little long there, but I'm a big Demar Derozan guy, man. No, man, speak your truth. Speak your truth about Demar Derozan. <laughs> I'm not gonna join you over there in that camp. I love Demar. I think he's been better than he was in San Antonio, ma- mainly because he's playing defense this year. Like he never played defense. Let's be honest, he never played defense like this in San Antonio, but somehow head coach Billy Donovan over in Chicago has got him buying in and playing defense and making rotations and just doing the little things. It's not like he's an elite defender, but the fact that he's serviceable, that he's you know putting in the effort, it's made a big difference. So I don't know if I believe in the Bulls as like a title team, and maybe that's not what you're saying, so I'd love to get clarification on that in a second. But I look at this team, and already, like you mentioned, they're missing Patrick Williams. It feels like if you miss one player on this team that's a starter or role player level player, you're done. You're done. Like if you're playing Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving and you know James Harden in the playoffs or you're playing Giannis in the playoffs with Chris Middleton and Drew Holiday, like you're done. You miss one guy, you're done. Cuz those guys aren't getting it done and and one of the things that I remain skeptical about is the playoffs. I wrote about it so I'm not going to go too in depth, you know, I don't, don't want to bash on DeMar, but he's been awful in the playoffs. Hasn't shot good percentages, hasn't come up clutch, start series slow, and then if they end up getting to a game seven, doesn't bring it. So, I don't know. I want to see him turn things around. Love DeMar DeRozan. Maybe he does, but until he does that, just like with any other player that I watch, until they do that, they show me they can do X, Y, Z, I'm not going to believe it until I see it. Yeah, that's fair. I think for me, I'm buying into the fact that they can, but I know that basically they're going to have to really just come together and really win the scene. It's going to be a group effort. It's going to be a collective effort here, more so than teams like, you know, the Lakers or the Nets or, or whomever who can really kind of ride those elite top-tier, you know, talents and KD or LeBron or whatever the case. I think Chicago can, but like you mentioned, it's going to come down in the playoffs. And DeMar, even though I'm a big fan, yeah, he struggled in the playoffs before. I mean, Game 7, Spurs, Spurs fans remember, you know, against the Nuggets, he was, what was it, 1 for 11, 1 for 12 in the first half, or that's how he started that game. And overall, just I, I, I hear you, and I, and I feel you on that. I just think overall, I believe in it, but like you, man, I am a little <laughs> skeptical. I am a little worried just because I've seen it happen before. But, I mean, if there's one guy who I think can honestly rebound from that, man, it's 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 a guy like DeMar DeRozan, bro. I I, I truly believe in him to that extent. Sounding like too much of a fan over here, man. But <laughs> I think, honestly, man, what Chicago has, you know, cooking up over there, especially even without, you know, Pat uh, Williams, who I really like. I really liked him. Uh, I mean, I remember, you know, pre-draft, Spurs fans are like, oh, at 11, I don't know. I don't know if we should take him, blah, blah, blah. And then he ends up going four, and everyone's like, whoa. I think Pat Will can actually fit and actually add something to that team. So I don't know if they're going to get him back this year. I know he got hurt back in October. But all I know is that I think Chicago can make something happen. And if they do, it's going to be a collective effort with DeMar leading the way. But don't sleep on Zach Levine either, man. I think that dude's a killer as well. Absolutely. And we won't go in depth about Zach Levine. But I did want to say, like, DeMar DeRozan, out of any guy who's been through the Spurs organization and left, like, you know, he he did his job while he was here. And I don't think anybody maybe deserves it more than he does after everything he's been through personally, career-wise. So rooting for DeMar DeRozan because the Spurs aren't going to win a championship this year. And if somebody's going to win it who used to be a part of the Spurs organization, I'm pretty much fine with DeMar winning it. But I want to ask before we leave the DeMar DeRozan topic, when you look back at the DeMar DeRozan era in San Antonio, do you think it hurt or helped San Antonio as an organization? And maybe that's a little bit too black and white, but I'd love to get your answer on that. 
Yeah, I actually want to ask you a question as well. So remind me before we close this topic. I think the DeRozan era. See, helper hurts tough because me and you we've we've talked about this kind of and and I don't want to say it helped because uh, like you mentioned, you said it perfectly, man. It delayed the inevitable. You said that on on Rob's show, but at the same time, considering where they were at, you know, they were obviously a contending team. They thought they were going to be contending. They're moving off a of, you know a generational talent in, in Kawhi Leonard. So they're trying to compete. They want to get someone who can help them compete now. They got a, you know a little bit of draft capital, a young player. So I think for the situation that they were in, it helped them, but they fell short of their goal. And honestly, it was a lose-lose situation. So even I don't even like saying the word help. I'm kind of like in the middle, but if I had to lean one way, I would say help. But overall, you weren't winning a title with that team. You know what I mean? Like you would need an even better piece than DeMar DeRozan. So, helper hurts tough, man. I've said it a million times. It's kind of tough to kind of where I land on that, but I would say delayed the inevitable. If I have to take a choice, I would say help. Uh, I know you know his leadership ability and all that veteran presence that he brought. I would say probably help this young uh, young group as well. But overall, I would lean help. But in reality, kind of didn't you know didn't do much for anyone. Yeah, I think that's probably where I fall too. Is that I don't really think it did that much for San Antonio or Demar. I'm sure that they helped DeMar unlock a little bit of that playmaking potential. He's a better player when he left the organization than when he got here. But you look at it for the Spurs. They made the playoffs once. They lost the Nuggets in seven games as a seventh seed. And then they never made the playoffs again with him. And I think like when you figured out that it wasn't going to work with him and LaMarcus Aldridge leading the way, then they probably should have pivoted from both of those players. And instead, you see the Spurs go the route of you know holding on to DeMar and holding on to LaMarcus until you buy out Lamar- LaMarcus. And then you end up signing and trading DeMar for, you know, not nothing. It was a fine package. The Spurs did well to get anything out of that. But it just feels like maybe you could have gotten more. And so I look at it, and when I see them, I just think, you know, you kind of put a cap on how good the Spurs could be. Because if DeMar DeRozan's your best player and you don't have an ideal supporting cast, which they didn't for him, then you can only be so good. You know, maybe you're like a play-in team or at your peak. If everybody's playing, you know, firing on all cylinders, then maybe you're like a seventh seed. But you're also just too good to bottom out. Yeah. And then when you get stuck in that NBA purgatory area, like that's not good. You don't you don't want to be the Orlando Magic, right? You you don't want to be a team that's just kind of treading water and stuck in running in one place. And so I, I don't know that it hurt or helped the Spurs or Demar, but I thought it was worth visiting this topic because I think you look back on this era, and I said the same thing on on Rob's show, but you look back at the Demar Derozan era. And I think in five, six, seven years, nobody's going to remember it happened. I mean, it wasn't spectacular. You didn't get, you know, like a number one pick out of it. You didn't advance in the playoffs. You didn't compete for anything. And so I'm not saying it was meaningless, but mostly I think it just kind of helped you stay pat, which isn't maybe the best thing. But I don't know. I'll I'll let you give some closing thoughts on that. Yeah, uh, I'm going to ask you one thing beforehand, but I think uh, with the whole entire DeMar era and kind of like not remembering it, I think if you asked someone like Coach Pop hypothetically, I think this could be an era where we look back at it and uh, Coach Pop would mention something like it set the tone, you know, with our young guys, you know, going forward or something like that. That's what I would think he would say. Not saying that you're wrong, but I'm saying that's from his perspective. That's what I would think he would look at it uh, as. But I wanted to ask you this and. I love, as you know, contrary to popular belief, I love admitting when I'm wrong, <laughs> and I love learning. Right now, 
I'll start with this, and then you can kind of uh, just kind of uh, give me a rebuttal here. I think overall what I learned from DeMar's departure coming into this season, now after seeing you know how it played out, I learned how important it is to have a, a player like DeMar DeRozan who can really slow the game down and control the game. I think I learned how important that is, especially seeing that last night when I was at the Grizzlies game, but overall in general because there's times throughout an NBA game where it's back and forth, back and forth, one team's going on a run, and you need someone to basically slow it down, get to the line, and make something happen. Make two free throws, kind of reset the game, reset the vibe, reset the tone, and really kind of set that tone going forward no matter what quarter you're in. I think DeMar's just ability to control and have a good pace on a game I think that's the one thing I learned how important it is because something like that doesn't show up on the stat sheet, right? We saw DeMar 22-6-6 and and, you know, you're, man, you know, he's playing great, blah, blah, blah. But I think that one, that aspect of his game, that's something that the Spurs severely lack right now is just overall, you know, finding that, that rhythm, that pace, and that tone of a game, getting to the line, stuff like that. I think a lot of the little things like that he brought are what the Spurs lack. And I think that's what I learned is just how important it is for a player like to have a player like that i would love to hear your thoughts and if you you know potentially learned anything as just a basketball mind you know after demar's departure uh, from san antonio i don't know if i learned all that much i guess i'm i'm more surprised i guess when demar left i thought okay well the offense is probably going to get a lot worse because they just don't have a legitimate engine a guy who's an efficient scorer can get his teammates involved can get to the line can get you a bucket at the end of the game when things slow down and then I thought, okay, well, DeMar DeRozan and Patty Mills and Rudy Gay all graded out as some of the worst defenders on San Antonio's roster. So clearly their defense is going to improve, but neither of those things have been true. Their offense has been you know, top 10 in points scored per game. They've been bottom 10 in points allowed per game. So <laughs> I don't know what I learned. Like I, I wish I learned something more, but I, I think I, I, I appreciated DeMar for what he brought, not just in terms of his veteran leadership and the knowledge that he imparted to the young guys, but... Just, like, the way that he played the game, the way that he prepped for every game, you know, the the way that he approached every situation. He was a professional in every way conceivable when he was in San Antonio. And obviously with everything that we learned today about him visiting his dad in the hospital, like, he he's a guy who cares about his family. He's a guy who cares about his profession. He's a guy who loves the game of basketball. So I don't have anything but respect for him. But I don't know. I wish I learned something from him, but... <laughs> I don't know. I think the only thing I learned is that maybe fans are, are not very appreciative of what they have when they're losing, which is fine. Like when you're losing, what is there to be appreciative of? Um, and then that also fans are very impatient. Like we're, what we're in the first year of the rebuild, first legitimate year of the rebuild. And people are already, you know, fire pop this and trade this guy that and, you know, go sign, you know, X, Y, Z in, in free agency. And they're going to turn yeah. it around like uh, that. That's just not how most organizations or developmental plans work. So I don't know. Those are the things that I learned. I don't know if I learned them from DeMar, but I definitely learned <laughs> yeah. them over the last couple of years watching this fan base and watching this team. Yeah, exactly. And I think, too, speaking to your point as well about just just in general, right, taking a player away or whatever, right? Man, typically when we see players, young players in particular, take that leap, that next step, they're showing, they're, they're laying the foundation. You can kind of see that coming, right? You can kind of see it start to emerge and, and come out of the ground, come out of the soil. And a lot of play, uh, people, Spurs fans, whatever, basketball minds, immediately thought when DeMar leaves, X, Y, and Z is going to start, they're going to take that leap. He's holding them back. But in reality, man, hoops, even from someone like me who never played at a high level, hoops is so much more than just 
I'm going to give you 30 minutes a night at a 30% usage rate, and you're going to put up 25 points. Like, man, it just doesn't work that way. You know <laughs> what I mean? And I think someone like DeMar, I think the art of the game, and maybe I'm just you know always thinking too deep about everything, but, but the art of his game, the art of just putting the ball in the basket and, and just playing with that pace, that tone, man, it's really tough to come by. And when you watch it in person or on television, whatever the case may be, man, that can really just change the outcome, shift momentum. It does really big things for you throughout the course of a game. So shout out to DeMar DeRozan, man. You know, very big fan over here. I met him back in 2019. You know, he's a real <laughs> cool dude. And uh, if you ever wants to come on Pounding the Rock, if you're listening, feel free. <laughs> we'll have you any day of the week. I'm right there with you. And I think everything you said was very well said. But why don't we go ahead and backtrack a little bit, revisit the past week of Spurs basketball. San Antonio went 1-3 and versus the Brooklyn Nets, Philadelphia 76ers, and Houston Rockets. And the Memphis Grizzlies, right? That was the last one. I believe you were there. You were sitting very close. You got the best bird's eye view of this matchup. So I wasn't in, in attendance. So why don't you tell me what you saw from that game? And uh, it can be good. It can be bad. It doesn't really matter. I just want to get your perspective as somebody who was right on the sidelines there. Before I start with the, the MVP of the NBA, I'm going to start <laughs> with uh, some supporting uh, members. I think Jaron Jackson Jr., He's a sensational talent. I think he's everything that you want in a modern big man. Uh, outside of you know the passing, he needs some work. But I mean, mobile, you know, athletic, can shoot. Uh, really enjoys playing down low and just banging bodies like a like a traditional big man. Uh, rim protection, everything. I think Jaron Jackson Jr.'s full arsenal, his full skill set, was on display last night, and he looked fantastic. I mean. I think that's one player, uh, you know, his dad played in San Antonio, you know, everyone knows, you know, his dad <laughs> and he, he, Jaron Jackson Jr. is such a good player. He's, you know, he's at that, that kind of that tweener, that four or five spot, you know, when they start Steven Adams, that really, when it comes to just modern, just builds of a starting lineup, I think San Antonio should take kind of a page out of that Memphis book or that Cleveland book and kind of go, you know, that route with, with you know, whomever they get at the four or the five, whatever they, whatever they do there. But Jaron Jackson Jr. to me, man, really stuck out. He looked fantastic last night, 22-9-6. and six. Uh, I think Desmond Bain looked awesome as well. I literally tweeted in the middle of the game, every good team needs them at Desmond Bain, right? And he really is. He's one of those just high-end just high rotational players, really good on both ends of the floor, kind of just a, uh, just your, your Swiss Army knife guy. I think Desmond Bain looked fantastic. On the Spurs side of things, Devin Vassell, if you've if you've listened to the show before, I'm a big Devin Vassell guy. I've been you know chanting that he should be starting for forever. It seems like now, uh, again, 20 points off the bench, just really solid night. And then lastly, John Morant. What Noah? What can I say about <laughs> John Morant that hasn't already been said? I mean, I sent you that video last night in the middle of the game where you know he does the uh, the step back three on on uh, Trey Jones, and I'm like, if this guy has these kind of capabilities in the bag off the dribble, from three uh, specifically. Yeah, he's going to be an issue and one of the best players in the NBA for a very long time. The passing sensational. Defensively last night, he was really good as well. I think overall, man, John Morant was sensational. It was a pleasure to be in, in person to watch that masterpiece. And uh, I would love to hear your thoughts, man, because I can talk about Jaw all day. But it's a, it's a Spurs podcast, so we're going to chill. We're going to chill. Well, uh, okay, before we chill, part of me wonders if John Morant was on social media yesterday before the game and saw Bally Sports Southwest say, we're welcoming the top point guard in the NBA to the AT&T Center, and John Morant will be there too. Yeah. 
Like yeah. if he saw that, it kind of feels <laughs> like he did because not only did he seem to take that matchup one-on-one defensively with DeJounte Murray really personally, like he got under his skin, he poked some balls away, never came up with the steal, but definitely bothered DeJounte when he had the ball in his hands. And then I don't even know if we mentioned his stat line, but 45, 41 points, five rebounds, eight assists. I mean, he, he was phenomenal, and he shot above 50, almost 60% from the field. I mean, he's literally the definition of a superstar. I mean, the, I, I, we won't talk about him too much. We can talk about DeJounte because that's the guy who's on our team that we yes. cover. DeJounte, he had, what, 16 points, 10 rebounds, 11 assists. It was his 10th triple-double. And, and, and I know that fans love the triple-double, but I think we still have to look at the triple-double as kind of what Jesse Pitsley from our, our Poundy the Rock our site wrote about, that it's not always that impactful. Not specifically with DeJounte or, or Russell Westbrook or Nikola Jokic. Just in general, a triple-double is going to be easier to get in the modern NBA. One, if you have high usage, but two, with the pace. You know, This is some of the fastest basketball the NBA has ever seen, and the Spurs are playing at a top-five pace in the NBA, so... These things are going to happen. But I think what's really important when you look at this is the way that DeJounte Murray responded to the media following the game. You know, they let him know, you just tied David Robinson for, for the most triple doubles in Spurs franchise history. And he could have gone, yeah, you know, I, I, you know, I put the team on my back. I showed up in crunch time, blah, blah, blah. You know, the first thing that he says is, you know, pretty much I don't care. You know, I could have played better. I, I'm not chasing stats. I'm just DeJounte. I'm just out there. I could have been better at the beginning of the game, and I'm just going to work harder and, and get back in the gym, and I'm going to come out better next time. And I, th- and I think that's how we should look at these, right? Like, the Spurs have a losing record when he has a triple-double. Who cares if he has a triple-double? Let's give him praise when he has a good game, when he's shooting efficiently, when he doesn't have a lot of turnovers, when he's getting rebounds, when he's showing up in the clutch, because those are the things that matter. You know, I, I know we all love those pretty round numbers. We love the counting stats, the numbers, whatever. It's not always impactful. And I'm not saying DeJounte isn't impactful. I'm saying let's give DeJounte praise when, when, when praise is due and let's recognize when he's part of the problem because let's be honest, last night, shooting below 30% from the field, you're part of the problem. Like You, you simply are part of the problem. I'm not saying that there aren't other players who weren't part of, the, part of the problem as well, but you just can't have your best player lay an egg like that if you're the Spurs. They need him. Yeah, and I think too, uh, to piggyback off of that, you're right. The triple-double, not every triple-double is created equal. Not every triple-double is as impactful as the other one. For example, just our last show, right? He has a he puts up 23-14 and 10 against Oklahoma City Thunder and is clearly the best player on the floor. Easily. Like I know I know Oklahoma City didn't, you know, trot out an NBA, you know, starting lineup, but you can tell, right? Like, man, okay, he's really really fantastic. Last night he had a, a triple-double and he was probably the fourth or fifth best player out there last night in terms of impact, effectiveness, just overall to the eye you know me being there from what i see what i saw like i think not everyone not every triple double was created equal and he is a you know he's a good player he's an ascending talent 100 percent. but last night regardless of the triple double you can't you know come away from that game if you're an honest person and say oh man Dejounte Murray you know he he was great last night like nah he struggled he had an off night especially for shooting you know, shooting the basketball like regardless of the triple double so credit to him for recording you know the you know tying the most in Spurs history that's awesome for him you know couldn't you know really really happy for him but that doesn't that's not gonna you know blind us or, or make or, or mess our vision up here when it comes to you know identifying how his game was last night and uh, yeah, it was it was a, it was a pretty rough night for him, especially on the offensive end, man. Because John Morant and just overall Memphis did a really really good job on him. 
And if DeJounte doesn't care, then you, you probably shouldn't care either. You know, exactly. care about the wins, care about the progress. Of course, triple-doubles are probably part of that progress. And if we're going to be fair, I can go ahead and call out the other players who weren't too great last night either. I know Keldon went 4 of 9 from 3, but he went 7 of 16 of the floor. Didn't really create much for his teammates, even though he had 3 assists. They were some of those, you know, just hit the open man who's right next to you. It wasn't like he was really creating for anybody. You look at Doug McDermott, 3 of 9 for the field. That's not going to fly. You look at Jock Landale, 1 of 4. That's not going to fly. Trey Jones, 0 of 3 in almost 20 minutes last night. That doesn't fly. Like... It wasn't all on DeJounte, but what, again, what I'm saying is sometimes we got to look beyond just the pure, you know, counting numbers to beyond the points, beyond the rebounds, beyond the assists. You got to look at turnovers. You got to look at efficiency and you got to mix that up with the eye test. Right. So I think that about does it for that game. We know that, the you know, Memphis didn't have Tyus Jones or Kyle Anderson or Dylan Brooks, but we're not going to spend time talking about hypotheticals if they were in here. Let's go ahead and move on to San Antonio's lone victory of this stretch, which came at the hands of the hapless Houston Rockets. They got revenge for that earlier embarrassing loss with their Interstate 10 rival a week ago. So for you, what was the biggest differentiator between this contest and their previous meeting with the Rockets? And you know, what, if anything, stood out to you about the Spurs' performance in this one? The fact that they scored 134 points, shot over 50%, 57% from the field, you know, 82 points in the paint against, you know, one of the worst defenses in the NBA, uh, actually, you know, scoring 10 more points. And it seemed like they took care of business on the defensive end as well, because the, in the first matchup, it was everything that you could imagine that you could imagine like, like could have went wrong or could have gone wrong, went wrong for this team. Yeah. And it seemed like this time they actually, even though they started a little bit slow, like you mentioned, that end, that, that, that 14 to zero run and, you know, the end of the first quarter, that really set the tone that tra- that set the trajectory you know throughout the course of this game and they looked fantastic for outside of the first 5 minutes of the first quarter they played like a team that should be taking care of a, of a Houston team that's horrible i'm not going to you know put too much stock in this game as far as like how good i i think san antonio can be but they took care of business. They did their job. Everyone, you know, Bill Belichick made that that slogan, you know, famous, <laughs> right? Just do your job. You're playing a bad team. Do your job. Take care of business. Enjoy an early shower. You know what I mean? And that's exactly what they did. Uh, I think, you know, overall, too, you know, Jakob and DeJounte played really well on both ends. Uh, they combined for 37 points, 14 rebounds, 13 assists. Uh, they also held the Rockets to 41% shooting from the field. So, all in all, man, your two best players, uh, you know, they had strong nights. And then overall, that kind of set the tone for how this team looked. So I think it was a good performance, but you got to do your job, and that's what they did. Yeah, absolutely. They went in there. They did their job. They got revenge for that loss that they had earlier in the season. And there's not really too much else to say about it. I mean, the Rockets are awful. They're a train wreck of a basketball team. They're not trying to win games. You could see throughout the game, I mean, I felt so, so bad for Steven Silas. Every time I looked at the television, you know, he was holding his head or he was shaking his head, or his head was down, or he was rolling his eyes. Like That has got to be one of the most frustrating situations to be in. Not only did he inherit a team that had a problem with James Harden, like, you know, showing up out of shape, being out during the beginning of the pandemic, you know, doing whatever he wanted, hanging out with rappers when he should be at, uh, you know, like training camp. But then he, he had to deal with, you know, Harden's out of there. He wants out of there. You know, you got to trade him. So you get, you know, like 10 cents on the dollar for him. And then you, you inherit this team that is just so young, so inexperienced, doesn't really know how to play together. And you're here, you know, every day. And I'm sure it gets exhausting. So that that just must be the I, I can't even imagine a worse professional situation, not to mention the Rockets have now lost with that game 10 straight home games. 
I mean, they just they they don't even, they don't even know what home court advantage is because their <laughs> fans don't want to be there. Like like I I don't know. I, I don't want to spend too much longer on the Rockets. They're really bad. Proud of San Antonio for going in there, getting the job done. There's not really much else to say about it. One of the other things that we saw from San Antonio this week was they welcomed the Joel Embiid show to the AT&T Center. Man, he was so, so good. The three-time All-NBA honoree continued that league-wide dominance. 38 points, 12 rebounds, 6 assists. I know this is a Spurs podcast, but man, he was so good. But we'll get back to San Antonio. They matched his individual brilliance behind an all-around team effort. So what were some of the things that caught your eye about this game outside of Joel Embiid? And can we maybe talk about, again, I know we did it last time, but can we talk about how good Yaka Pertle has been over this four-game stretch? Yeah, I mean, Yaka, 25-10 and four blocks on Philly. I mean, and Joel Embiid's a tough matchup for him, especially. I mean, you, I mean Embiid's a guy who's all around just the better player the better athlete just everything and Jakob you know gave it to him on the other end as well I mean Jakob gave Philly that you know 25 10 and 4 uh, from a player who you know respectfully doesn't have like much of an offensive game quote-unquote like that's impressive I mean even the little papa shot floater that he likes to do like everything Jakob does for the Spurs team he's so impactful there, there are nights where I think he's well not even nights. I really probably think he's the most valuable spur. Uh, there are some nights where I think he's the, he's the best spur. And, you know, over, you know, his last six games, you know, 18.7 points, 9.8 rebounds, 3.2 assists, 3.2 blocks. Like, no, just keep feeding me the numbers, man, because anything <laughs> that comes when it's talking about Yaka Pirtle, this dude looks really, really good. Uh, he looks like, a, a, a you know, a franchise kind of center that you can have for the next, you know, eight years, eight seasons if you needed him. Like, I think Jakob, Jakob's role, what he does, although, like I mentioned, the offensive game is limited, his impact is, is, is it's, it's, it's big. I mean, he, he knows what he's doing within this role. He doesn't play outside of his, uh, outside of his you know, position, outside of you know, how he plays. He knows how to play to his strengths, man. And I think overall, man, I'm, I was really impressed with him. Although Joel Embiid had a great night, and it sounded like you were talking about Joel Embiid, like he should be the MVP, which we'll talk about that, I'm sure, on another episode. I think Jakob Pertl was really impressive as well. Yeah, no, well, first off, I do want to say I, I love and admire that you are absolutely infatuated with John Morant, but I, I got to give Joel Embiid his flowers. The guy just averaged 40 points for an entire month. He became the first player since Wilt Chamberlain to average 40 and 10 for an entire month. So... Again, love Ja. I think Ja's having an astounding season, but, I mean, no Ben Simmons. You're working with the second-year point guard in Tyrese Maxey, who, honestly, you could probably classify as more of like a combo shooting guard. Tobias Harris has been bad for them this season. You're playing with guys like George Niang. You're playing with guys like <laughs> Matisse Tybel, who don't create any of their own offense. Like, not only has he averaged a ton of points, but over that stretch, six assists per game. You know, it's like yeah. one or two assists fewer than John Morant. So I got to give it to Joel Embiid at, at this that point. But, man, <laughs> love Joel Embiid. But if, if we can hop back to, to Yaka Pirtle for a second, you know, it's nice that he had, you know, almost 19 points and 10 rebounds and three blocks and three steals or three blocks and three assists rather. But, man, the efficiency has been astounding. 70% from the field. And for him, this is good. Maybe not for the rest of the NBA, but 64% from the free throw line over that stretch too, getting to the line almost four times per game, only committing two fouls, one turnover. He's been great. 
He's been really, really great for the Spurs. I don't know if I, if I would say I think he's the most valuable Spur or the best Spur. I still think that probably goes to DeJounte Murray by, you know, quite a bit. But there are nights, like you said, where, you know, he, he looks like he could be the best Spur. And what, one of the things that I look at these matchups, and, and I think it was pretty consistent except with the Houston game, is this was nearly identical to the Memphis game, right? I mean, they trailed for most of the game. They make a furious comeback bid in the late in, late in the fourth quarter. And then ultimately, you know, they, they succumb to an elite performance from an opposing superstar. Like, that is literally the same script for the Memphis game. And, and I'm just not really that surprised that that's the case. Were you surprised that's the case? Because San Antonio can pretty much hang with anybody. But, you know, they don't have the guy. And a lot of these teams that they're facing, especially on the upcoming schedule, they have that guy. They have that dude. Yeah, and it seems like it would it's like disrespectful or like too like easy to understand this or say this, but like sometimes it just comes down to or like the better team just wins. The better players are there. Like it just hap- it just so, just happens that way sometimes, you know what I mean? And uh, like against Memphis where they had someone who can get to the line with ease, draw contact, just didn't even have to make a shot down the stretch really is what it seemed like, right? Six straight free throws even with a guy like Embiid or whomever like Sometimes, when, and especially when it comes to these Spurs games, man, when they don't have that guy, and considering that they don't, yeah, this is kind of what we see. We've seen that. We've seen this whether it's against Phoenix, Philly, Memphis, Brooklyn, you name it, man. This is kind of just how the how it goes for the Spurs because they don't have that guy like you mentioned. So, yeah, I think this is. I think this is honestly what we're gonna see over the next, you know, couple weeks too, man. I, I think this is just the start of uh, or the continuation of what we've been seeing already for the, you know, this entire season. And the Spurs don't have that guy, but I did want to go ahead and throw some some props towards Dejounte Murray because if you're going to be that guy or the the franchise cornerstone, one of the things you have to do is score the ball well. And 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 most of the players who score the ball well, they get to the free throw line. And really, kind of starting with this stretch, he had I think eight free throws in this game. And 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 what I've noticed most is he's just been aggressively seeking out contact. He's been trying to get to the rim. And he averaged 6.7 free throw attempts over this four-game stretch. That's more than Trey Young, more than James Harden, more than LeBron James, Bradley Beal, Jimmy Butler. So I don't know if it's going to be consistent. I don't know if he can keep this up for the rest of the season. But whereas at the beginning, it's like, okay, he gets one free throw or two three free throws or sometimes even none. He's been really good at getting the line recently. And even though his shooting efficiency hasn't been very good over the stretch, he sort of mitigated that by getting to the line. And I think that's almost more important at times because not only do you get a completely free shot, nobody's in your way, but you tack on a foul to the other team. And in turn, eventually that adds up. You get into the bonus, you get free throws for your teammates even when they're not shooting. So I think that's really huge for DeJounte's development. Again, I don't know if it's going to hold, but I like it. I like seeing it. So what what did you yeah. think about that? Yeah, 100%. And, and like you mentioned, it's not only that he's getting to the line too, but he's making them. 85% against Memphis, 100% against the Rockets, 70% against Philly, 100% against Brooklyn, like... Yeah, it's one thing to get there, but you got to make them, and especially for a Spurs team that struggled at you know <laughs> at that as well. I, I, it's important, man. And if you're going to be that guy, like you mentioned, and like I said with Demar Derozan too, coming back to that, setting the tone, being able to really kind of shift the momentum and start a trajectory wherever you're at in in the course of a game, man, getting to the line, making a couple free throws, it's really important. So I agree 100 percent with you. Yeah, well, the, well, the Spurs have also hung in tough with just a ton of title contenders this season, whether it's the Utah Jazz or the Phoenix Suns or the Milwaukee Bucks. Like they, They've really put in some work against these teams, even if they've lost a few games. 
and they also held pace with the Brooklyn Nets for the better part of three quarters when they welcomed back Patty Mills and LaMarcus Aldridge for what I felt like was a heartfelt homecoming. I don't know if you felt that at all. I felt like, man, it was so nice to see these guys come back to the AT&T Center, and it was a nice tribute video. But before we talk about the game itself, I think we should just hit on the importance of Patty and LMA to this franchise because I don't know that they always get the love that they deserve. Maybe Patty, but not really LaMarcus. So let's talk about how important each of them were to the Spurs while they were here. Yeah, I'm, I want to start with LaMarcus, man. I think so. Let, let's go back on the on, on the train here. Let's go back to 2015-16 uh, when he makes that decision to come to San Antonio. That was something that, as a fan, I was 17 years old, where we were listening to all the Spurs radio stations trying to get just a little <laughs> scoop, like, man, is he going to come? Is he going to come? Like, oh, is he going to really, you know, is he, gonna, is he coming to San Antonio? And for him to make that move, he was really, like, in my lifetime, that's the biggest free agent signing I've ever seen as a Spurs fan, ever. And, you know, you know, because growing up in San Antonio, you know, in, in this area, like, free agents don't come here man like top tier top you know high level talent doesn't come here like it's just not how it goes and for LaMarcus to to do that man I remember as a fan just really looking back and like I really like that guy like for him to do that like that was just that was awesome like that experience alone as a fan is something I'll never forget about LaMarcus is just experiencing that and really being on like watch like on my phone listening to the radio whatever just to kind of get any drop of information to know whether he's coming so that's kind of one one aspect of LaMarcus I'd like to touch on. The other one is, man, he was really good in San Antonio, too. I mean, three-time All-Star, two-time All-NBA, had that crazy 56-point game against Oklahoma City. Yep. I, I think overall, man, he was so good in San Antonio. I know, you know, the, the couple years, uh, really like a year and a half before he left, he was starting to decline a little bit there. But he was so good in San Antonio. I, I think... He he is so deserving of of whatever comes his way from this organization. Whether I don't know I, I don't know about like hanging in the Raptors or anything like yeah, that. Yeah. Obviously, I don't know about that. But in terms of just showing always just showing constant love, he's he's very deserving of it. He's one of the best players in their franchise history, uh, in my opinion. And I think at his peak, Lamarcus was man. Talk about just just a centerpiece that we've talking about that cornerstone. He was that for San Antonio, even with Demar. Everyone had their debates of who was you know better, you know who was more impactful. Blah blah blah. Regardless of that debate, when Lamarcus was here, he gave us you know four hundred fifty percent, and uh, he looked fantastic, man. So credit to Lamarcus, really, really awesome. In terms of Patty, before I you know throw it to you, how can you not like Patty Mills, man? If you're a Spurs fan, even people across <laughs> the league, like Draymond Green, I remember he had a quote where he basically said, uh, I forgot what player he was mentioning, but he said that he's our Patty Mills, and every great team, like I mentioned with Desmond Bain, needs a Patty Mills, right? And Patty was was sensational here. Did so many great things in the community. Always, you know, played at an extremely high level, especially off the bench. Uh, I always thought he was really clutch as well. Whenever you needed him, from you know the the, tw- the 2013 2014 teams to whatever the case, man. Patty Mills just always, always, always took care of business when you needed him to. And uh, I, I, how can you not like Patty Mills again, Noah? Like I'm gonna throw it to you, but how could someone like be upset with Patty Mills, even as a basketball fan? You know, like Patty Mills, bro. What a, what a player. <laughs> when I see him on the timeline, even in like the Nets gear, I can't help but smile. Like he's got an infectious energy. 
He was huge for San Antonio. I know he was sort of like a bench warmer when he first got here, and he maybe wasn't the most important factor for the 2014 title. But you look, by the time he left San Antonio, second leading bench scorer behind Manu Ginobili in franchise history, number one three-point shooter off the bench ahead of Manu Ginobili in franchise history. I mean, he just did so much on the court that I think people didn't, necessarily appreciate you know like I understand people were ready to move on you know it's time to start a new era of basketball in San Antonio but it was hard to say goodbye to Patty Mills because not only like you mentioned is he great for you know what he brings on the court and what he does in the community but you know he had the coffee gang he was great for the guys in the huddle he was great for the guys in the locker room you know he cared about these guys on and off the court so you know can't say enough good things about him you know he's not as good as LaMarcus he wasn't as good as DeMar but you know, he certainly left his impact in San Antonio, and I wouldn't be upset if they hung his jersey. I would understand why they don't, but I think he's one of those guys you at least got to consider it because, man, he he was so good. And as far as LaMarcus goes, I am in that same boat as you. Uh, at that point, I think I was a sophomore in college. I was working at the tennis park in San Antonio. I was a, a tennis coach there, but I had my phone on me all the time. You know, during my lunch breaks, during our snack breaks, during our water breaks, I'd pull it out like, you know, who, who who's coming to the Spurs? Who's going to the Wizards? Who's going to the Heat? Like, I wanted to know the news. And when that news dropped, I remember being like, man, I got to start a Twitter account. Like, I, I want to share my opinions. I got to I got to <laughs> start a Twitter account. Like, this is insane. And it was just such an experience that, you know, we we had traded for a Richard Jefferson. You had brought in a guy like, you know, Antonio McDyess, who maybe at one point he was a star, but at this point in his career, he's just sort of a role guy. But this is a guy, all-NBA, all-star. You know, he's on national TVs, on TNTs, on ESPN. Like, you had never had that before. At least I hadn't. So he was a big deal for me. But the one thing that I will never, ever forget when it comes to LaMarcus is, when he carried the Spurs when Kawhi Leonard went MIA. Like, Kawhi Leonard leaves, you can't find him. You know, they're, they're having all this news, like, is he staying, is he going, are they trading him? And LaMarcus Aldridge holds down the fort, leads the third best defense in the league, keeps San Antonio in the playoffs. You know, that 20-year that playoff streak does not stay alive if it's not for LaMarcus Aldridge. So I'll never forget that season. You know, 23 points per game, 10 rebounds per game, a couple of blocks per game. Just an absolute workhorse. And you look at the guys he was doing it with, Danny Green, an older Tony Parker, an older Manu Ginobili, Kyle Anderson, a very, very young DeJounte Murray. You got Jonathan Simmons. I mean, they had no business, absolutely no business making it into the playoffs. And he put that team on his back. So for for me, I'll never forget that. I'll always appreciate what he did when he was in San Antonio. And I know people are probably going to remember, you know, all the photos on Twitter of him contesting three-point shots from inside the paint. But <laughs> I, I, I love the guy. I think he's a great player. You know, he didn't have the best end in San Antonio, but I'm happy that he's in Brooklyn. Just like I'm happy that Patty's in Brooklyn because they're going to have a chance to win a title. They both deserve it. And, you know, I think we've talked as much as we can about these guys. So let's go ahead and move <laughs> it on to the game because I'm sure people want to hear about the game itself. So getting back to the actual matchup, what did you see from San Antonio when they faced the Nets on Friday night? I thought it was pretty good, but again, it's just the the fourth quarter. It gets them almost every time. Yeah, like I, like we were mentioning too with like Philly, Memphis, Phoenix, I mentioned Brooklyn, the same thing, right? Really close back and forth, and then the team with the better players, the the superstars prevails and ends up winning. And that's what we saw. Like James Harden 37 10 and 11, Kyrie with 24 uh, 4 and 3 without KD. I mean, they both were sensational. Uh down the stretch they were really really good. I think overall that's just where the Spurs are at right now. 
as long as they don't have that centerpiece, that that main piece that can, you know, really just elevate everyone around them and they can really start to build around and be that engine probably on both ends. Man, this is kind of what we're going to expect. This is this is something that we're going to see. And uh I I just I thought overall it was a really good game for this for San Antonio while they kept it close and uh what are you going to do, man? When you're playing James Harden and Kyrie Irving, you don't have someone there to kind of duke it out with them. It's going to ha- it's going to happen. It's inevitable, right? You're you're already, you know, facing a really tough team, a really good team like, you know, like the Brooklyn Nets. But then you're going to go ahead and face a team you you don't have, you know, you have DeJounte Murray with 25, 12 and 10, but that's it, right? You don't have enough horses to really come back and battle. So, I think overall it was a really good game, but like we've said already, it, it's it's what we've seen all year, right? When they play these really good teams. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of what you've come to expect. It's not necessarily a good or bad thing. We've talked about it. You don't have expectations, just appreciate the good and the bad. And like you mentioned, we got the good with DeJounte Murray and we've talked about how, you know, not every triple double is created the same in this instance. I don't know. Did he get a triple double, right? 25, 12 and 10. That's a great triple double. He was really efficient in that game. You know, he was clearly doing everything that he could to will this team to victory. But We've mentioned in the past, like if if nobody else shows up, then you're losing that game. It can't just be DeJounte Murray. He was phenomenal in that game. But the rest of the team, you know, they shot a season worst, 38.9% from the field. I mean, you just can't do that. You know, it's not I'm not saying that you necessarily wasted this great night from DeJounte, but you kind of did. Like he he put (laughs) it all together. He had the triple double. He was efficient. He got steals and you didn't support him. And, you know, that's not necessarily you know, what we're going to expect on a nightly basis, that these guys are going to come in and they're going to give him, you know, 20 and 5 to support DeJounte, or we're going to have a guy make six threes to, to support DeJounte. That This team just doesn't have that. But it was a nice night from DeJounte, a little bit of a disappointing night from the team. And for me, it all goes back to their defense creating transition opportunities. They have thrived off of that all season, right? You, you see DeJounte poke the ball away or Devin poke the ball away or maybe Jakob or Derek comes up with a block or a big steal and they're heading the other way and they're they're probably the I think as of this morning they were the third most efficient transition offense in the league against Brooklyn you know seven turnovers that's all they could force and and it turned into six points I mean if that's all they're going to get off of those turnovers you you really can't do much about that because they rely on their transition offense to keep them in games and it just there weren't any opportunities yeah and it's like especially when you don't have those horses, man, like if you don't have a, a James Harden or a Kyrie Irving, like you have to get down in the nitty gritty and really, you know, make opportunities. You really have to just create extra possessions for yourself. You have to be ultra efficient. You know, you really don't have a, a big room for error here. And unfortunately, again, they're just not able to, to pull this one through. So I think it was a really, really tough, just kind of tough couple of games for San Antonio outside of Houston when you're playing really good teams. Like, and like you mentioned, this is kind of what we expect, right? Uh, and if they win these games, you know, ultimately down the stretch, awesome. But I don't think we, just as as viewers, as watchers, should expect them to win, uh, win, beat teams like Brooklyn or whatever, as long as they don't have that main piece that can truly elevate everyone uh, on the roster. I agree. I agree with you there. And w- I guess with all the games off the docket from last week, why don't we go ahead and close things out by giving some of our opinions on the latest news and developments from around the Spurs organization. I'll go ahead and get us started with Pop in the front office, reassigning Zach Collins to the G League on Monday. I mean, it kind of feels like Greg Popovich was telling the truth, right? He said that there was not going to be any timetable for Zach to join the big league club. And, you know, he's right back down with the G League team. So, you know, what did you see from him maybe in that second game against the Memphis Hustle? And what do we expect? I mean, what do we expect going forward for this guy? 
I think, well, the big thing is I even uh, tweeted to you after the game where he had five rebounds after coming off a one-rebound performance uh, in his first G League game. He looked much better, 10 to 16 shooting, 25 minutes of action. Uh, he had 22 points. Overall, you know, he, he's beginning to get his legs back. But like the like the Spurs win against the Rockets, I'm not putting much stock in his performances right now because he's still just so he, – he's coming back from not playing hoops for so long. Uh, I think we're going to see a, probably another one of those eight-point, you know, one-rebound performances in his future uh, when he plays uh, down there with the G League. So I'm not putting much stock in it. In terms of what I'm expecting, overall, I think getting his win back, you know, really just being efficient on both ends, kind of just getting up to speed is what I'm what I'm hoping he does, more so than any, like, statistical line. Like, if he was to average 10, 4, and 4, or whatever the case may be, I wouldn't be, you know, too upset at it because I think, r- really, he just needs to get his win back, man. Not playing basketball for that long, yeah, the Spurs need some depth. They need another body at the five or the four, wherever. But it, it right now, this is much more important as getting him up to speed. And I think that's the most important thing. And what I'm just hoping for, and what I'm expecting to see, is just his uh, his progress, his development uh, from game to game. More so as as an athlete, as a conditioning athlete, and just on both ends of the floor, getting that comfort, that feel back for the game. Absolutely, and the Austin Spurs are going to be playing this, uh, and I, I don't know if I'm saying this correctly, so please correct me if I'm saying it <laughs> wrong, but I think it's the Sioux Falls um, Skyforce, so man, if I, if I completely uh, you know messed up that name, fans can let me know, but anyways, the point <laughs> is they're playing the Skyforce today. This is another team with a smaller front court that probably will have a tough time containing both Devontae Kaycock and Zach Collins. So for me, I think even if he's scoring, you know, like 20 points or 15 points or 18 points against these lesser competition with smaller players, I'm really honestly just happy to see him build some momentum in any way, shape, or form because he needs it. Like you mentioned, not only does he need the cardio and the conditioning, but he needs to build the confidence. I, you know, I'm not a professional athlete. I didn't play D1 or anything like that. So I'm not familiar with how professional sports work like that, but I played tennis, and when I put the racket down for a year after I came out of, co- or out of high school, I was not ready to play again. I was not as good. I was not as a good of shape. I wasn't confident in the shots. I didn't like my backhand, didn't like my forehand. I refused to go to the net to hit volleys. So I imagine basketball has got to be a little bit similar. If you haven't played in that long, you're probably not as confident, not in as good of shape. So just getting them out there is what's really the most important thing. Yeah, hundred percent. I think we got to flip over to Josh Primo, man. We got to talk about Josh Primo. You know, let's do it. Let's so, do so it. Jo- so Josh Primo, uh, he was recalled from the Austin Spurs on Wednesday, but you know they promptly sent him right back down earlier today. You know, Primo. You know, he didn't play when the Spurs hosted the Grizzlies when I was there, but I'm thinking that maybe they do kind of start cleaning up some minutes for him as we approach the All Star break. So, like Noah, how can they do that without compromising what they are trying to build this season? I don't know. I mean, I love. Lonnie Walker we've talked about him so much here and I I know that fans at this point at least some fans think that it's it's slander or hate but let's just be honest with Lonnie Walker I mean he's been a a huge disappointment this season love the guy but you know 23 minutes per game for a guy who's shooting below league average everywhere from the floor you know not a good three-point shooter has made some strides as a playmaker out of the pick and roll but the ball's not in his hand that often Better on the defensive end, but with easier matchups than a year ago. I I just think at this point, and I mean this in the nicest way possible, maybe he figures it out somewhere else, but for me, if I'm San Antonio in this front office, I've seen everything I need to see from Lonnie. I I don't need to see anymore, and I'm fine with moving those minutes to a guy like, 
<laughs> like Josh Primo. <laughs> I know that that may sound <laughs> ridiculous, you know, giving up on a a 23 year old for a 19 year old, but I, I just I haven't seen anything that I like, and I think I've seen enough. Like I'm ready for him to move on, and and it's nothing personal. It's just I'm ready to move on. Yeah, I agree too. I think I think getting Primo some minutes, especially at the at the next level, is important. But at the same time, I don't want his minutes to come just in in a specific role where they're not letting him actually have the ball in his hands and really develop that you know that on ball creation that that we think we all he, you know we all think he has some sort of upside there right now if they're bringing him up there and he's you know I I love the fact that he's really active off the ball you know he likes to move around can relocate all that good stuff but I don't want Josh Primo to be in that role at that level at you know in, at the NBA level you know I think get the ball in his hands. Let him run some things and and really just start to develop him like that. Because you I mean respectfully, like the Spurs aren't competing this year, right? Like we all know this. So I don't know what there is to lose at this point. You know what I mean? And if that comes at Lonnie Walker's minutes getting cut, like uh, like respectfully, so be it. Like I think there are other plans. This is this is a, a long term plan that we're working with right now. So I agree with you too, especially on Lonnie, man. I think right now it's trending in the direction of if he is back, it's not going to be at a at a monetary amount or a minutes amount that many of the fans thought that he would, you know, be having or taking coming into this year. But nonetheless, I think overall Josh Primo in the NBA at the NBA level after the All-Star break, I think that'd be uh, really interesting and and I hope we see it. And even a trade might be able to open up some minutes. We'll talk about that in a second, but I did just want to quickly hit on Kate Bates Diop entering health and safety protocols on Tuesday. You know, I, I don't think it's like the biggest deal in the world, but if you have any thoughts on that, let's go ahead and get those out of the way because, honestly, he, he's a role player. He's a guy who's done a really nice job as a spot starter, but I don't know if there's a whole lot else to say about that. No, not really. I think, I mean, the Spurs definitely need help in the front court. I mean, that's that's known. We've been talking about them needing really a 3-4 and a 5 for the longest time now. <laughs> so uh, it hurts because you don't have depth there. But at the end of the day, I don't think Kadebase Diop is the difference in beating a team like Memphis or not. So, respectfully, you know. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm, I'm right there with you. And now we can get right back to the trade talk. So, Jake Fisher of Bleach Report, he mentioned the Spurs a handful of times in his Trade Rumors article that went live this morning. I'll go ahead and read you some of the rumblings, and you're going to give me some of your thoughts on those potential trades or those potential trade targets. So, we'll start off with the Hawks calling about Derek White. If you were their front office... What would it take to you for you to send Derek White to Atlanta if you were the Spurs front office? Uh, I think the the deal that makes sense would be something around John Collins. I think if you can send like a heavily protected first along with Derek White, I don't think they would want that young. I don't know why they would, but uh, if they would, throw that in there as well uh, for John. Now, does Atlanta do that? I'm not sure, but I think Derek White for John Collins and, and some sort of uh, some you know little things around little pieces around that could make it work. I think that actually be uh, a, a pretty solid deal, honestly. Even though I'm not the biggest John Collins guy, the Spurs need a four like nobody's business. And even if they take a route like Cleveland or like uh, any of these teams that kind of start those two really big players in the front court, even three of them in Cleveland's case, uh, you can still do that with a guy like John Collins. I don't think if you trade for someone like that, it'll make you not draft, you know, Chet Holmgren or, or you know, Jabari Smith or Paolo Banchero if you're even there, right, hypothetically. So I think it'd be fine. And I think if I'm San Antonio, any deal about Derek White to Atlanta has to bring you back John Collins. Yeah, and I'll go ahead and tweak that deal just a little bit. I saw this deal on Twitter. I cannot remember the user who suggested it, but I like it. I think you send Thaddeus Young, you send Derek White, 
and you send a lottery-protected first-rounder. And in turn, you're going to go ahead and get John Collins, and you're just going to bite the bullet, and you're going to bring back Danilo Gallinari. I know that Danilo Gallinari is not a sexy contract. I know that he's making a lot of money. But for me, you don't have to play him. It can be another you know, Thaddeus Young situation where you're looking to move him, buy him out, get him to another situation, whatever the case is. But I think John Collins, even though I wasn't necessarily willing to bring him on through free agency, I think as you watch the cap continue to balloon and go up over the years that this deal, because he's on a four-year deal, it's going to look better over the years. And he's a guy who's complained about his situation in Atlanta. His usage has gone down. He's not being given as many shots. They don't run as many plays for him. You know, just bringing in a guy who, one, has improved by leaps and bounds on the defensive end, who's a legitimate standstill three-point shooter, 44% from three on three attempts this season, good rebounder, has become a pretty good rim protector, at least like a secondary rim protector. I'm fine with that. So I think that would be a good deal. I don't know if it's realistic or if it'll work, but we saw that Mark Stein and guys like Woj, that they're talking about that Atlanta's really not looking for anything more than a first-round pick and a starter for this guy. So you give him Derek White, you give him a first-rounder, throw in Thad, because I think he can have some utilization in Atlanta. I think you got yourselves a deal. Maybe not, but for me, I think that's fair for both teams. Yeah, in my opinion, I agree 100%, man. I, and, like, I was I was kind of against the, the John Collins thing as well, like, in the offseason. But I think in a deal like this where we kind of see where the Spurs are at, what they desperately need, although I'm not a fan of, you know, paying John Collins that, that amount of money, you know, this past offseason, like you mentioned, the Cavs ballooning, uh, I think it, you know, really makes sense because they need a four. I mean, they, that, <laughs> if there's one thing that the Spurs need the most, it's a four. So I agree with you, man. And we'll go ahead and move on to the second little bit of news that we got here. I'm not super interested in it, but I'd love to get your you know feelers for this one. The Spurs called Cleveland to inquire about Chetty Osman. He's a soon-to-be 27-year-old forward. He's going to make $7.4 million next season and $6.7 million the season after that. How interested are you in Osman, and you know what would you give up, if anything, for him? Or are you just not? do you not care about him enough to even send an offer their way? Uh no I I I mean again respectfully <laughs> I, I don't I don't care number one before we even you know get here whose minutes is is he taking like like let, let I'm gonna tell you like this I'm gonna tell you like this they trade for Chetty Osman right and they opted like give Primo no minutes and instead give minutes Chetty Osman yeah nah, there's some people deserve to be upset. <laughs> So, no, I mean, respectfully, man, Chetty Osman doesn't really do anything for me. I don't think he'll do much for the Spurs. I don't know how much he actually plays the four on a play-by-play on a play-by-play basis. Like here, according to Basketball Reference, he's only playing the four thirteen percent of his minutes. Um, he's mostly plays the three, three, and yeah. he's been better than than like last season. Last season, he was really bad. This season, yeah. he's been fine, and he plays for the Cavs pretty often. But look, I mean, I'm in the same boat. I don't care. Yeah. Like respectfully, I don't care. I wouldn't probably try to, you know send anything Cleveland's way to get him. And honestly, I have the trade machine open on my computer, but I'm not even going to try to figure out how to get a deal done because we're we're playing front office right now. This is our podcast. I don't want him. So Yeah, no, no, yeah, we're good on that. <laughs> and we'll move on to the last rumor. So the last rumor is that the, the Raptors, rather, are interested in bringing Jakob Pertl back to Toronto. Man, what would a fair deal even look like between San Antonio and Toronto and I mean, what what is Jakob worth? Because we know he's worth a lot to this team, but it's hard to put like a trade value on him. Yeah, that's that's the tough. That's the very very tough part of this entire deal, especially with Jakob, because yeah, he's he may not be you know a top whatever center in the NBA right now, right? 
but he's a really, really good player. And he doesn't make a lot of money. So, I mean, I think any deal that you do with, with Toronto, you would think you would get like an like an OG and a newbie back, right? Or something like that. Or high end if you wanted to add more to Pascal Siakam. But then if you're the Spurs, trading a lot for, for a Siakam or something like that, that doesn't really get you where you want to be ultimately. You know what I mean? Now, I think Pascal can play the four for you. And, the, and we've talked a hundred times how they need one, right? But I think the only deal for Yaka Pertle that I think is realistic for the Spurs that I think would be actually worth something would, would be, you know, actually getting a, an OG and a newbie back. But even then, why would Toronto do that? You know what I mean? I, yeah, I don't I, think they would move Pascal either. He's been really yeah. good, by the way, this yeah, season. Like, yeah, he's become he's, a really good playmaker. He's a solid rebounder. Oh yeah. And, like, people see his per-game numbers go down from a few years ago. But he, I, I don't know if a lot of people realize, but every single one of Toronto's starting lineup – they're like right near or at 15 points per game. So like guys are going to have to see touches here and there. And, you know, some people's per game numbers are going to go down, but don't let it confuse you. Like Pascal has been really good, but again, weird fit next to DeJounte. Both love to, you know, play make for their teammates. Both guys love to get to the rim, but I mean, they're not like lights out shooters. I think you're going to need somebody who's a better shooter. If you're going to have a guy like that, who likes to have the ball in his hands. So I don't know what it would take either. I think, like you said, OG Ananubi would be interesting, but, you know, are you going to sell the farm to get him? Not that you're giving up the whole team, but like a Jakob and a first. The only guy who I think I would absolutely, no questions asked, ship to to San Antonio in return for a Jakob Pertle, I would be wanting, and, and, I, and I know people are going to roll their eyes, and you should, would be Scotty Barnes. And if oh, I'm yeah, Toronto, yeah. the second that they start saying, I'm, I'm hanging up the phone, the second yeah. they start making the sound of Scotty, I'm done. I'm hanging yeah. up the phone. I'm blocking the number. I'm changing my address. Like it's it would never happen. But you know, I, you, you can always dream. But uh, th- yeah. that's all the news <laughs> that we have. Like those are all the news that we have about the, the the trade rumblings around the league. That was from Jake Fisher of Bleacher Report. And we'll go ahead and start wrapping things up, man. So let everybody know where they can find you on social media, where they can find your work, and I'll, I'll turn the flow over to you. Yeah, man, thank you for having me again, or thanks for, you know, it was a dope show. I enjoyed it. Uh, I really like talking, especially when it comes to DeMar DeRozan, man, John Moran. I, I think we had a really nice episode, so I hope everyone at home, in your car, wherever, uh, I hope y'all enjoyed it. Y'all can go ahead and follow me on Twitter, at D.A. Bartonic. That's at D-A-B-A-R-T-O-N-E-K. Check out all my football work. I'll be at the Senior Bowl next week. Uh, check out my stuff on Pounding the Rock, and just continue to show us some love. We really appreciate it. And you can also find my Spurs words on Pounding the Rock. You can check out a video that Dame and I just did about DeMar DeRozan and his homecoming to San Antonio for Spurs Tube. That's Spurs Tube over on YouTube. That's from Rob Trejo Jr., one of the friends of the podcast. Maybe we'll have him on very soon. And you can also find me on social media in underscore Magaro, M-A-G-A-R-O. And thanks again for joining us. And thanks to everyone who tuned into this edition of Alamo City Limits. And for those of you listening at home, make sure to subscribe and leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you get your podcast we've got a fantastic staff of writers over at pounding the rock who do an amazing job of keeping everybody up to date with their favorite team the best stories the most interesting statistics so go ahead and check our stuff out but until next time spurs fans take care